Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this podcast series where we share conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice which I hope will be applicable for our medical practice. In this episode, we're talking with an expert about stereotactic radiotherapy and the abscopal effect. Now, in an earlier episode, we reviewed the principles of radiation therapy from a general perspective noting that this field of medicine unifies the management of cancer by harnessing the therapeutic effects of radiation, utilising ionising radiation. A specific form of this treatment is stereotactic radiotherapy, which administers radiotherapy from different angles around the body with the focus of ionisation meeting at the targeted tumour to be treated. This allows the focused delivery of high-dose radiation to the tumour, whilst nearby tissue receives a much lower and thus less damaging dose lowering the risk of side effects. Several treatments, perhaps one to eight, may still be required. Now, stereotactic radiotherapy is mainly used to treat very small cancers, including cancer in the lung, cancer at the start of the liver or cancer that has spread to the liver, cancers in the lymph nodes, spinal cord tumours, cancers which have spread to the brain. Stereotactic radiotherapy can also treat areas of the body that have been treated with radiotherapy before. For example, if someone has already had radiotherapy to their pelvis, they usually wouldn't be able to have radiotherapy to the same area again. But because stereotactic treatment is so precise, it can often mean retreatment is possible. Now, as a corollary to this treatment, a fascinating concept has arisen utilising localised radiation therapy to elicit an away-from-target tumour response. This is called the abscopal effect and was observed over 70 years ago in 1953 by R.H. Mole, who coined the term abscopal from ab, away, and scopal, target after observing a clinical response to irradiation at distant sites that were not directly exposed to radiation treatment. Now, over the past decades, the abscopal effect has been elucidated by the work of many investigators, including Fermenti and Damaria, who showed that this process was likely to be mediated by the immune system, leading to immunogenic tumour cell death, a process which appears to be involving dendritic cells, T regulatory cells and suppressor cells as critical mediators. Their research was inspired by the hypothesis that targeted radiotherapy in the proper setting can produce a consistent and robust abscopal effect, thus delivering clinically meaningful anti-tumor responses and disseminated disease control, if not eradicating distal disease in patients with metastatic cancer. An abscopal response is defined as at least a 30% reduction in size of tumor from baseline in any measurable non-irradiated lesion. The recent successes of several immune checkpoint inhibitor clinical trials in various malignancies have demonstrated wide applicability and enormous therapeutic potential of immunomodulation and have galvanised keen interest in this field. So in this episode, I was curious to learn more about this amazing event, which, whilst still relatively rare, raises the perplexing question as to why the abscopal effect doesn't occur more frequently in patients receiving radiotherapy. How can it be harnessed? Perhaps a plausible explanation is that radiation treatments in different settings can be either immunosuppressive or immunosimilatory, depending on tissue and tumour context. And the host anti-tumour immune response appears to be regulated through a tight network of opposing stimulatory and inhibitory signals. Additionally, I was keen to discuss which tumours are most likely to be associated with this phenomenon. So to expand this conversation, please welcome back Dr. Marcus Fu. He's a radiation oncologist with Genesis Care will thoughtfully guide us through this subject. (music) 
Dr. Marcus Fu, thank you for joining me again on Everyday Medicine. By special request, you are back, and I've been hassling you to come back and talk more about radiotherapy and uh, um, its application to oncology and medicine. And, you know, it was such a nice chat last time, Marcus. I really appreciate it. And we're going to talk a bit about um, stereotactic surgery and the abscopal effect, Mm. the uh, disappearing act. And from my reading, my reading, which is not just from Carl Krushinisky's book, but also from uh, from uh, from literature, is that uh, in the decade before 2019, PubMed had about four mentions, four mentions, and then from 2019 on, 120 times. So, like, it's all of a sudden become a very, very interesting and topical kind of subject, Marcus. And um, you know, it's it's exciting. It's a bit sexy. You know, it sort of takes it. Oh, there's a bit of magic involved, I think. So I'm really, <laughs> I really want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about that abscopal effect, the disappearing act, ab being away, scopal being target. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about stereotactic surgery, uh, just so stereotactic uh, radiotherapy, and then lead into that, Marcus? Take us, yeah. take us through this incredible subject. Absolutely, um, Luke. Thank you again for having me. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to probably remember how much we might have spoken a little bit about stereotactic radiation, but I thought maybe it might be a reasonable segue into it. Stereotactic radiation, I guess, is a slightly uh, different form, that uh, way, actually, that we deliver radiation. So whereas, uh, I might have said the last time, conventional radiation, uh, which we still use regularly now, is where we give a small dose each day, five days a week for two weeks, five weeks, six weeks, depending on the tumour type. Stereotactic radiation here is, is where we actually give a much more, a much larger dose of radiation, a more potent dose of radiation, maybe even in one single dose right. or three or five single doses. So you, you can imagine we, we're actually cramming quite a big dose of radiation in a small amount of time. Right. And what we think uh, that does is that by giving a bigger dose per fraction, you're actually uh, inducing a much greater amount uh, of response in the tumour itself. So... Um, stereotactic radiation has been used standardly for many years now uh, for brain metastases, for, for cancers in the brain. So you're treating small metastases where we would give a, a single dose or even nowadays three to five treatments, big doses to try and almost ablate the tumour. So whereas with conventional radiation, often we see I guess, stability of tumour, and, and yes, if we're lucky, we get shrinkage of tumour. Stereotactic radiation, we're actually giving an ablated dose to actually ablate the tumour completely. Well, why wouldn't um, we use that more often? That, that, sounds like, yeah. that sounds like, you know, that's not a bad way to go. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Why, why don't we do that? Why is it because of the, 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 the fallout, the unexpected that's consequences? Exactly right. And, and, and the issues there is location and where the, where, where the tumours and, and the... Uh, sensitive organs are nearby. Yes. Unfortunately, we can't use stereotactic radiation everywhere. For example, uh, you know, in luminal organs, esophagus, the rectum, if yes. we gave a massive dose of radiation to that, we would unfortunately, yes. uh, to, uh, to speak, like, we would burn a hole through those um, yeah, the, yeah. The organs. Yeah, the, the organ would fall apart. Yeah. yeah. The, okay. um, I guess uh, the brain being the one that we would routinely give stereotactic radiation to, Lungs, I guess if you've got very peripheral lung lesions now, we would now routinely give stereotactic radiation for early lung cancer. Yes. Patients who are not well enough to have a lobectomy or, 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 or resection um, and uh, or even lung metastases as well for that matter as well. So, yes. so yeah, no, we're, we're using stereotactic radiation. Now, I guess uh, the reason why uh, you're hearing more and you will hear more about stereotactic radiation, 
Previously with uh, cancers in the brain, one of the thing, couple of things that we rely on in stereotactic radiation is the accuracy, all right? Now, part of that accuracy also is the fact that we want to make sure the, 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 the target doesn't move. And the, the brain was always the ideal target because it's within this skull, doesn't move. And, and we used to, and some places still do, used to use a, a fixed frame. So these nice. used to be screwed yes. in by the neurosurgeons. Yes. The head didn't move. That way we can be sure sub-millimeter accuracy, what we're hitting, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, unfortunately, when you transfer that idea to the extracranial side or anywhere else in the body, lung, liver, they yes. move around, all right? And not only that, um, patients, when we put them on a treatment table, I can't have them moving around if I'm going to give a massive dose of radiation with a little bit of bowel next door, all right? I need to be sure they're not yes. going to move, or I guess uh, we're going to be able to see things not moving around. Yes. We never used to have that technology up until recently. So up until recently, we now have capability on the machines to not only we're actually able to see the target while we're treating them before and afterwards, we're able to actually image what's nearby when we never used to be able to do that. Yes. So I guess with the improvements of technology, we're actually able to apply what used to only be able to be done intracranially into the extracranial side. So that's where that word SBRT, stereotactic body radiotherapy, right. or the other term that they, uh, some of my um, uh, excitable colleagues like to call SABR, S-A-B-R, stereotactic ablative body radiotherapy. I'm trying to imitate a so SABR sounds, that sounds kind of more interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly right. So, so people, I think some people like to throw in that word as a way of saying, oh, I'll try and work work samurai in there or something. (laughs) That's right. So, yeah, stereotactic radiation now, probably in the last five or ten years, is now used very routinely, um, not only in the brain for primary lung cancers, early lung cancers, but we're also using it nowadays, I guess more relevant to what we're talking about today, in the setting of metastatic diseases. Right, right. um, I guess for patients who have, very limited amount of metastatic disease. So previously, someone with, uh, say, a primary in the uh, uh, lung and then they spread to somewhere else and say, well, that's incurable, we would only give a palliative dose of radiation. Yes. Nowadays, with someone with only limited, say, just one spot, two spots outside, we would actually think about going hard. And it's not just theoretically. If it's surgery is, 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 a, is an appropriate way, we say, yeah, we would try and remove that yes. because we think there's some data to show that they actually probably do live longer if you're able to, I guess, treat all of the known diseases that can. Yes. And stereotactic radiation has actually been a great enabler because surgery yes. is not always going to be possible for spots. Sure. And, and nowadays, stereotactic radiation is very well tolerated. It, it really has become a like it's a very important partnership, isn't it, between you and the oncologists and the and surgeons uh, operating? Well, what about with respect to bone disease, osteosarcomas, and and are you able to? I would have thought that'd be an area where you could apply. Uh, yes, absolutely. Apply so, um, yeah, <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, no, we 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 nowadays uh, treat a lot of bone metastases. Right. Well, probably not um, uh, not not primary bone tumors as much on Luke, but no, certainly secondaries, uh, uh, bone metastases. There are a very common target. Um, The most, I guess, the most common ones we we treat are in the pelvis, in the ribs, spine as well. Although obviously you've got to be careful because spinal cord right nearby. I think these are the things that keep 
at least me up at night when yeah. we treat these sort of I'm things. Want to make sure your medical defence is up to date. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, I guess the other things that the, the other areas that we often have to worry about are the long bones because they're weight bearing yes. bones. Because right. yes. when you give a, 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 an ablative dose of radiation, the things that not only is it next door organs that we worry about, there's a risk of fracture as well. Yeah. All right? yeah. so You're we killing osteocytes and yeah, the structure right. is going to crumble. What, what, tell us a bit about the abscopal effect then in relation yes. to all that. Like, what is it, first of all, um, yes. Uh, yes. Mark? Because I understand it was first described about 1950, but uh, oh, t- uh, t- 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 take me through it. Take me through it. So, look, the abscopal effect uh, is, is, I guess, is where, because radiotherapy is a local treatment, so whenever we give a local treatment to, say, a spot in the bone, we would only therefore expect a local effect reduction yes. in pain or reduction in, in the size of the tumour in the area we treat. I guess that the abscopal effect is where we're actually giving a local treatment to, say, a spot in the bone, but then we're seeing uh, uh, responses or reduction in size of cancers elsewhere distant to the area that we irradiate. Yes. Now, um, again, you may, may or may not have come across this. This sort of made a lot of headlines probably about 10 years ago when there was a group in the United States published this case report, I think it was um, in the New England Journal, of, of, of a patient, I think who might have had uh, either melanoma or renal cell carcinoma, I can't remember. Uh, th- this patient had metastatic disease and she was actually having immunotherapy at the time. Now, after a period of time, unfortunately, the immunotherapy stopped working and she started having progression of lesions in the, I think it was in the spleen, in, in, the, la, uh, in the hilum or something. But she also had a painful deposit in the chest wall. So she had a course of radiation to the chest wall lesion. But then after, what they saw after, even though the chest wall lesion responded, then these, they also saw after that these other spots in the lung and elsewhere and then the spleen also started to reduce in size as well. And she never, she only had radiation with the chest wall. And keeping in mind, all those other lesions before radiation were starting to get bigger. Yes. All right? So the right. immunotherapy was not working. Everything right. was getting bigger. Yeah. Then we irradiate one spot and everything starts getting smaller. Yes. So, so that sort of uh, uh, led to a lot of excitement. Uh, yes. And there probably, to be fair, still is a bit of excitement. Now, I, I probably should maybe try and temper that enthusiasm a little bit, uh, uh, Luke. You know, we... we we probably haven't gotten to the bottom of how it does that and why it does that. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen in everybody either. Uh, and at the moment, it's probably still not very predictable uh, is the issue. But it is a very well-described phenomenon now where what we're seeing is that sometimes when you irradiate one site, even though other spots were getting bigger, not responding to chemo or immunotherapy, suddenly they start responding <laughs> And that that's what the abscopal effect is. It's quite it's quite incredible, isn't it? So I mean, it is it is in many respects it, it's a miracle. And, and I guess from the scientific perspective, um, and you, you will know way better than me. It's we're killing off cells; they're releasing various components, which is stimulating mm-hmm. the immune system. And it's, yeah. it's sort of like we're getting an immunotherapy effectively reduced by that uh, the death and the spewing out of, that, of all Absolutely. that garbage and proteins and things from the tumour, and, and we're seeing this response. I, I guess, you know, like it is it is rare, and, you know, Carl Krushinitskin, he's one of his wonderful books, I love reading his stuff, he talks about that in relation to a young guy who's got metastatic melanoma. And yes. there are some tumours that seem to respond uh, you know, better than others. I think melanoma is one. You, you mentioned like a renal cell carcinoma is another. 
Are there some other tumours that we can sort of sit back and say, well, you know, this is something that's reported in other tumours, lymphoma, leukaemia? I've got a list of you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Look, I mean, the the probably what I failed to say as well is that as stereotactic radiation started to become used a lot more, you know, there's also been in the last five or ten years, I don't know if you've had sort of oncologists come on this as well, but immunotherapy has really yes. changed the whole landscape of oncology in the last yes. five or ten years. Uh, and, you yeah. know, and, you know, um, obviously the poster boys for immunotherapy had been melanoma and renal cell carcinoma because yes. they're, they're highly immunogenic tumours. And, and we would, even before the year of immunotherapy, we would not infrequently see patients with renal cell carcinomas that, that would just spontaneously regress. So that idea of an, an immune uh, effect happening was already at the back of people's minds. But, yes. I mean, now proof of principle really, isn't it? It, it? It's used very routinely now for renal cell carcinoma. And I guess along that same time as well, you know, we, we've then, the, the world is now starting to see, well, how can we combine these two treatments uh, together, um, Luke? Because as you say, the the the, the theory behind abscopal effect, even as I said, and again, I'm not a, a, a lab scientist by any stretch, but I think the, 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 the thinking is that when, when you when you give a dose of radiation, and, and for example, if, you, if you're able to deliver an ablative dose of radiation, you're not only then killing off that cell, but you, you're then, uh, I guess, in the simplest possible way, releasing these antigens, all right? Yes. Uh, yes. Which then tends to maybe heighten that immune response and therefore yeah. able to lead to these distant um, responses elsewhere that you, you haven't really irradiated. Um, now, uh, the, the, the tumours where, as you as you've said before, where, where we've seen this is with melanoma and renal cell cancer, but there's actually quite a few others that is being explored at the moment. And I guess the, uh, the, 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 the researchers are trying to explore the most immunogenic tumours. I, I don't think we know all of them yet. Lung cancer by far, I guess, because nowadays non-small cell lung cancer, especially the adenocarcinomas, are, we know, do respond to immunotherapy. So that's being looked at quite a lot at the moment. Um, there's a subset of colorectal cancers uh, uh, that are also probably immunogenic. Not all of them are. Um, I guess the from a common one's point of view, um, uh, breast cancer and prostate cancer, not, not as much uh, a headway uh, as we would have liked uh, uh, in the others, although I guess in some ways that there's already very uh, effective treatments for those anyway at the moment. But um, I, I don't think we've had as yet uh, advances into those common cancers for immunotherapy just yet. But, but it's coming. Um, it, it'd be great if we had a way of making them more immunogenic, at least, you know, just for the purposes yeah. of, of, of ex- exploring and um, uh, taking advantage of the abscopal effect. I, mean, I really Absolutely. do think, I, I think it's, it's an incredibly interesting uh, kind of d- thing to discuss I mentioned briefly before we started recording about Ian Gawler, who, um, you you know, he had an osteosarcoma and was treated by radiotherapy. And there's a lot of questions about whether he had metastatic disease in his lungs or it could have been TB. But, you know, his belief was that uh, meditation and uh, dietary changes and other sort of, you know, natural type, you know, inverted commas uh, treatments helped and he survived. He survived. And, uh, well, we're not sure whether exactly he had secondaries of osteosarcoma lung or he had TB. But if it was osteosarcoma, I certainly have, after discussing this with you, I thought, well, maybe 
It was the abscopal effect. We'll, we'll claim that one, Blake. We'll We're going to claim, claim it. We're claiming it. <laughs> and I have another young lady, beautiful young patient I see in also osteosarcoma, and she wasn't given very long to live. She was about 17. And wow. she developed um, secondaries, actually went to Western Australia, had some radiotherapy uh, there, and I think some of the treatment was uh, was perhaps considered to be a little bit unusual. She survived. Wow. She survived. She survived, you know, and uh, she wow. had the amputation. And, uh, you know, I see it for GI things. And, and again, I, I wonder whether that is the abscopal that we're seeing. Do, do you think there's a way, like, you can't predict who's going to respond to this. You mentioned, well, the tumour type, maybe, immunomodulogenic tumours discussed. There's nothing else that you can really, you know, put your finger on and say, well, look, I think this is likely to respond. No, nothing more. Uh, than just I, I, don't, I don't think we know that. Yeah, it's a really oh, okay. good question, uh, Luca, and, and very exciting if, if we can. That would be sensational. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah. unfortunately, uh, I don't think we have uh, enough data to, to tell us which ones are going, that, that it's going to happen. Right. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I, I probably only have anecdotal cases as well. I, I've yes. got um, a few uh, fellow medical oncologists who are very um, strong believers in it um, and even stronger than I am sometimes, <laughs> which, which is nice. Uh, you know, I guess I, as much as I'm excited by by these systemic effects of a local treatment, which which we never used to think, it never made any sense to us, a local treatment, yes. local effect. But now we're starting to see these. As much as I'm a believer in it, I, I guess sometimes I have to just try and temper that enthusiasm because I don't I don't think uh, part of that is probably because maybe part of the ignorance because I don't know which one that's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. the problem, yeah. Yes. Um, well, we should never lose faith, faith in the possibility of improvement and, and exactly how that improvement comes about isn't always understood. I understand that that you can potentially see the abscopal effect with surgery. I'm not sure if you've had any experience with that. Oh, yeah, no, that one I haven't. I haven't had as much um, uh, experience with that. I haven't seen as much of that work. Yeah, uh, the absence of radiotherapy. Yeah, no, no, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. Uh, no, you read about things, you know, uh, like if you have a slightly spiritual kind of a uh, side to you, and you might read about things, but it's often hard to know, you know, what what the truth of it all is. And mm. um, you know, someone will say that they've had a cure from this or from that, and it might yeah. be, you know, they might. But, they might put it to prayer or it might put it to faith or whatever it might be. But I just wonder actually whether we're seeing underlying it all this incredible, uh, you know, nature's um, yes. healing, the abscope. An immune, an immune response. An immune response. Yeah, that has been triggered by whatever. It doesn't have to be yes. radiation, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's tremendous. What do you, do you see? Do you see any other future there? Uh, the future is perhaps to try and enhance that uh, process. I have read about vaccines being injected into tumours and things to try and yes. you know expose them. Do you have any yes. any uh, interesting snippets of information I can draw from you there? Oh, okay, no, no, I, I no, not not any more than what you just said, actually, Luke. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm probably not as at, at the forefront as, as that, um, unfortunately. Uh, but no, no, but there there is. As I said, there's a lot of interest to try and find which patients will who we think will respond, but yes. also trying to find what the best way of combining, you know, these treatments with the immunotherapies with the medical oncologists as yes. well. Because I think there's actually a lot of there's still a lot of work to be done there. Yes. Um, yeah. Because some of the earlier trials that show it were sort of all in the basket, um, but you kind of, yeah. I think most of us know that they all are going to respond quite differently depending on the histotype. So, yeah. Um, well, there's, there's a there's a fair bit of work going into that. Yeah. Well, I think we've entered this incredible chapter, don't you think, in medical science of, you know, we're, we're, all these new things have opened up, talked about immunotherapy, how that's changed yeah. the world, biologics, understanding of immunity. 
it's it's a change in chronic disease management now, like in a very major way. And I think you know the the, the public, of course, are unwell, understand it, but a lot of people don't completely appreciate what's happened in this in the last two decades. I think it's been phenomenal. It had that. I mean, we we you know I haven't probably been in this game as long as some of the others in you, Luca. But uh, you know, I'm with immunotherapy. We are, or even not just immunotherapy. I probably shouldn't keep saying, but all the other systemic treatments that the oncologists have got up their sleeve. We are seeing patients live a lot longer than what they yes. used to, uh, you know, and I guess um, they're able to offer these things. And I guess, you know, nowadays you, you, you can, and if you can do it safely, why not? Uh, you know, the melanoma, for example, uh, I think, uh, again, I'm not a medical oncologist. Previously, all they had was DTIC and decarbazine, which had around like 10% response rate. They were dead within nine or 12 months. We're seeing melanoma patients live for two or three years or even longer now. They're, they're yes. very deep responses yeah. that they're getting with immunotherapy. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's really encouraging, isn't it? Um, Marcus, I really appreciate you coming uh, tonight discussing discussing uh, this incredible, interesting, uh, um, you know, kind of sideshow to, to radiotherapy, but, you know, yes. coming under your purview, I really do appreciate it and, and the discussions we had at the previous podcast. Um, I'm going to ask you one other question, Marcus. Cool. Uh, one other question, and that is, best advice you were given as a as a young doctor. Can, can you think of the best sort of you know advice that you were given to guide you uh, on your stellar path, the career that's brought you to where you are? Uh, unfortunately, the the only thing that I can think of that I got good advice was probably not related to medicine. <laughs> 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 uh, you, you can edit this out. No, no, I I I, I had a. Uh, um, a great mentor um, when I worked at the GI unit at uh, Peter Mac, and and when when my wife just gave birth to my daughter, yeah. and uh, he said to me, "I just oh, I try and enjoy them; they grow up really quick." And I didn't know what he was talking about. You yeah. know, we had the yeah. sleepless nights, Luke. <laughs> so, yes. But it was so true. After two years, three years, I go, "Where the hell did that come?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's where the work-life balance comes in isn't it and it's quite hard to and i think when you're younger there's lots of anxieties this i had about you know my career and you know establishing yourself and you know where you fit in with your peers and so forth and you know it's often easy to sort of just disregard the uh, importance of of putting time in with the family so and i totally agree with you and i, I wish i could have been a better father uh, certainly in my younger years uh, if i could live that time again i would but yeah and i didn't you know it was like just a an f-111 going over my head when people said that to me but uh you know <laughs> if only i took that advice too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, told me that like yeah, that's right. more, more than 20 times that's um, it. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, th- thank you so much. And uh, it's really nice talking to you. And it was nice to meet your daughter briefly in the car when I spoke to her. <laughs> 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 she enjoyed it too. She's telling me all Maybe about it. After a few new words. <laughs> no, that was really nice, Marcus. So thank you so much. And for your wonderful service, Marcus, your kind spirit, your generosity, your expertise in the field. You know, like we're so lucky to have you here. So really do appreciate it, Marcus. Uh, thank you, Luke. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank so you very much. Thank you for joining me in that conversation with Marcus Fu about stereotactic surgery and the episcopal effect. I really hope you found that as enjoyable as I did. I have to say that one of the first times I came across the episcopal effect was in my reading of Dr. Carl Krushelnitsky's House of Carls, Chapter 2, where in 100% Cancer Cure, he talks about the episcopal effect. Dr. Carl Krushelnitsky is always worth a great listen. Now, during the podcast series, 
We'll be covering a wide range of topics across many special interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and may be emailed to manager at gihealth.com.au. Thank you.